Good afternoon, folks. It's that time again, 1 p.m., and time for the elephant in the room here on WJAS 1320 AM and 99.1 FM Talk. As always, this is your host, Sam DeMarco, joined in the studio by my trusty executive director, John Schneider, and our producer, Dazzling Daryl Grandy. Now, folks, today this show is going to be a little bit different than some of our other shows. You know, last week we had the folks from uh, API, the American Petroleum Institute, in. We talked to them about, uh, you know, the gas industry, drilling here and things like that. But now it's a little bit different here today. You've heard me talk previously about crime, crime in our region, crime in our city and in our county. I can't tell you I have a real treat for you today because we're joined in studio by Allegheny County's District Attorney, Steve Zapala. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sam. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, listen, it's a pleasure to have you because I know you've been out there fighting very hard. I mean, you've been in office as a district attorney for, what, 26 years? I've had the honor of being district attorney for 26 years, yes. Okay. So over those 26 years, you've seen a lot of things change. Yes, absolutely. Okay. On a regular <clears throat> basis, too, Sam. Right. And, and, and I know that your office, under your leadership, has been involved you know, over the years in task forces and things like that where you're targeting criminals. Have you ever seen it this bad? In certain areas of the city, it's it's probably worse than, than I've seen it quite some time. Most of the areas of, of uh, suburban Allegheny County are doing very, very well. The barometer I use primarily is the safety of our kids in our schools. Mm-hmm. And I would think if there's a number one priority in policing, it's to protect our children, to protect their venues. We want people to walk their child out of their house, the toddler, make sure they get on the bus, don't have to worry about their child on the bus, get to school safely, get a great education, come home, and then go on and, and go to the next level. And that's invariably happening all over Allegheny County. So knock on wood, we're doing very well. Now, there are some, the media has a way of, of uh, taking issues and, and taking them to extremes. So just everything being relative, we had a record number of homicides for, for Pittsburgh, which was 70 last year. And Pittsburgh's a bedroom, as mm-hmm. far as I, I look at. Pittsburgh's the bedroom of our community. Right. And, and this is an integrate. We're all in this together. Absolutely. So we, we do have, pro- if we got problems in one section, we gotta, we got to suck it up, take care of that, mm-hmm. because it affects everybody else. I mean, Pittsburgh's the county seat. You know, so goes Pittsburgh, so goes Allegheny County. So, so when we un- see things getting out of control in the city, it leads us to be concerned yes, about absolutely. the rest of the county. Yeah, and, and as I said, there, there are some pockets of violence that, We'd like to do some. We'd do, like to do better at, mm-hmm. but everything being relative, the real battle in our community has been against opiate addiction. So you take the 70 homicides in the city, almost two families a day in our county, they experience loss. Somebody they lose somebody in their family from mm-hmm. opiate addiction, and those people receive those opiates from criminals. So there's a battle, and and we're talking, you know, at almost two a day, you're talking 10 to one in terms of the number of homicides for opiates versus violence attributable right. to murder in the city. Yep. So uh, that battle is being fought all over Allegheny County because there's no particular place that is immune from drug trafficking, for instance. So, Yeah, I, I don't think there's a family out there that hasn't been touched in one yes. way, shape, or form by opioid addiction, either within their family or within, you know, close friends. You yes. know, and we've seen, you know, so many uh, young folks, you know, uh, lives cut short by this. And, and I just saw something recently. They were talking about how, uh, the United States of America, you know, we used to lead the world in uh, life expectancy. Mm-hmm. But now we are now toward the bottom of life expectancy in the affluent nations. And I think so much of it is because, you know, we're losing as a nation over 100,000 people a year mm-hmm. because of uh, overdoses and, you know, drug addiction here. 
And uh, yeah, so so no community is immune from it. I guess the question is, what do we do to fight for it? Sure, yeah. So, um, well, I'm, I'm very proud to say that I led a discussion as soon as I took office about the creation of diversionary courts, mm-hmm. or second chance courts, depending on your position in the system. So if somebody comes in and they have mental health problems, we refer to this as being smart on crime. So somebody comes in and uh, if they have obvious issues or there's something that somebody wants to talk to us about, then the system changed immediately so that we began to address mental health issues. We began, we, excuse me, we began to address substance abuse issues. So we created dockets immediately recognizing that eh, we have a lot of issues in our community. That doesn't, that doesn't uh, the crime that was committed, you're going to have to speak for the crime that was committed. But if we can help you, our experience has been recidivism rate goes way, way down. So it's being smart on crime, it's helping people, and at the same time it's recognizing that as a community, you know, no matter where you wind up in, in the, unfortunately, possibly in the criminal justice system, there is a mechanism to help you. But you're recognizing that some folks just are the victim or of, of making a poor choice. Yes. And, and are not career criminals right. or repeat criminals, right? Yeah. And we're not looking to ruin people's lives. We're just looking to correct the behavior and put them back on the straight and narrow and give them that second chance. And that's where these diversionary courts come into play, correct? Yeah. And we started here and uh, the rest of Pennsylvania followed because uh, we were studied by, it was a joint commission of the Senate and the House in Pennsylvania, and they commissioned the RAND Corporation to do a study. And, and the RAND Corporation determined that this is exactly what we should be we should be thinking about. So the rest of Pennsylvania followed suit, which we're proud of because we've always led here, Sam. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Our conversations always talk about we're going to be on the front end of something. We're not going to be hurt by this. We're going to be, you know, and it's it really it really it really does work. Well, we'll talk about that some of those things in a second here, but I think it's important for folks to understand. Do you want to go over a number of the diversionary courts that we have? I mean, we talked about. You know, there's drug court, there's mental illness court, there's veterans court. You know, th- these are attempts to take and help people that have made a poor choice or that, that you know, um, they're not bad folks, but to help them be held accountable, but yet get back, you know, on the horse, so to speak, as quickly as possible so they could resume their life and get back with their families. But you want to talk about some of the other diversionary programs that you've created here that have been emulated sure, elsewhere sure. in the state. In this, the first thing I'd like to talk about is uh, the number of DUIs we have in our county because, mm-hmm. unfortunately, we lead Pennsylvania in a number of those types of cases. So one of the things we did early on was we made sure that police cars were equipped with dash cams. And that was, that was traumatic for police officers because these guys are thinking, you know, mm-hmm. you just want to put that in there to make sure I'm at work or you're going to follow me around. No. You know, it, it, just sticking with DUIs for a second, we have 5,000 DUI arrests in Allegheny County on average in a year. 4,000 of those cases are first-time offenders. Those guys are all diverted out of the system. You don't have a record. You get help. We help you. And then uh, if, you're, if you're good for seven years, it's as if it never happened in the first instance. It's expunged, right? It's expunged. We also changed all the rules. So dealing with DUIs, first-time offender, you're not going to jail. You're going to go to treatment and, you know, you're going to get help. But mm-hmm. uh, those first-time offenders were arrested before I came into office. And what we did when I came into office was we immediately changed the rules and said, you're going to proceed by citation, which is a, like a traffic ticket, right. as long as the person doesn't hurt anybody or, mm-hmm. you know, somebody's going to help them and that, and that type of thing. And, and that worked out real well. But we don't try any DUI cases. With technology, I'd say maybe a percentage point, maybe two points. 
of the cases are tried. Everything else is administrative. So from, a, from an efficiency perspective, the office moved 5,000 cases basically into the administrative side, and the trial side is 2% of that. So. But, but a lot of that is due to your leadership you know, from a technology perspective, and you just mentioned a, a few minutes ago, well, getting the local. dashboard cameras in the cars. So it's like you don't you don't have to try them or go to court because the evidence is right there. The person that's been ticketed, you know, or arrested in that case, I mean, they can see that. Yeah, the evidence oh, yeah. is there. Absolutely, and you, you see it, and and it's expensive. Attorneys mm-hmm. are expensive. The whole process is expensive, and I think one of the things uh, the county executive is going to have to face is that we haven't. The county has not increased taxes for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you restructure debt, so you move it out into the future, so our grandchildren are going to be paying for something down the road. Or in, use DUI as an example. It costs about $3,000 in different fines from maybe 39 different accounts. And all those backdoor, you know, the, all those fees, they're subsidizing government locally. Right. So the new executive is probably going to be looking at things you know, where do I go from now? So, Well, the new executive is going to face a number of significant challenges. <clears throat> Not the least is the revenue decrease because all of the money we've gotten from the pandemic, you know, whether it was through the CARES Act or whether it was through the ARP funding and things of that nature, that's all going away after next year, 2024. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a significant gap there. And then anyone that's paying attention can see what's happening from the real estate perspective. You have so many of the office buildings downtown. Oh, yes. The occupancy rates are significantly lower. These folks are following for assessment appeals because, you know, the value that the assessment is based upon is based upon X amount of rent. Right. Well, if that's no longer there, right. that property is no longer worth that. And then you have commercial properties like out here, the mall at Robinson. It cost $110 million to build. Yeah, you it just recently sold that, yeah. for $43 million. <clears throat> so there's going to be a significant gap, you know, and that's why you need somebody that really understands numbers and understands, you know, what it's going to take to attract new businesses, new investment, new residents here to broaden the tax base. Yeah. Otherwise, what's going to happen is that load is going to be placed upon the people that are still here. Yes. And uh, folks are already struggling, you know, with high inflation and high interest rates today. Yeah. I haven't looked at the city's financials, but, you know, it would seem to me that losing a great deal of revenue in the city because there's going to be reassessments of all those properties down mm-hmm. there, and I don't know where they're going to make up the tax base. I think we pay, if you live in the city, I think you pay twenty-three dollars to $26,000 a year to educate a child. Well, it's more than that. Well, you know, the, the number is debatable, Steve, but when you look at their budget, their budget's in excess of $680 million. Wow. They have like 21,000 students, so it's actually over 30000 per student if you just divided the total budget mm-hmm. by the number of students, but they'll... You know, that stuff gets shifted around, but you're right. It's an incredible amount, and you have a shrinking tax base because the population in the city has been declining. It's at about 302,000, 303,000 right now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really been a noticeable depreciation in both numbers and value of properties. Mm-hmm. And, and we're losing all the Fortune 500 people that made, that built this country. Forget about right. the region, but built this country and put so many people to work here. And it's just, it's, it's, we are changing. It's, it's, uh, and I'm afraid with some of the political thinking, the ideology is taking us in a very dangerous direction because I can't figure out what the scheme is to keep people safe. In fact, all I hear is rhetoric, which is attributable to what are we going to do to 
further protect people who are accused of crimes. Mm -hmm. And that's a, if you're a criminal lawyer, that's all you care about is protecting that particular person. As a district attorney, as the district attorney, you protect innocent people. You ensure that victims' rights are taken care of. You make sure somebody gets a fair trial, but you also hold people accountable. Those right. are very different concepts than what you know the other side is bringing to the table. Well, that's why, again, I talk about your leadership. I was uh, pleased to be able to join you back in 2019. I think it was when you were given yeah, an award by the Center for Victims. Yes, thank you. You know, because of your leadership and standing up for those folks. And that's something that, you know, too often today is left out in the conversation when you hear these people, they're talking about the jail. You have the abolitionist law center, the folks where they're coming to council meetings or the jail oversight board, and they're you're demanding all these different things. But who's demanding that someone stand up and provide justice for the people that have been harmed in the account in, in, in their community that committed a crime. And that's where you come in as a district attorney, is it not? Yes, it is. And, and justice is, a, unfortunately, a very relative term. And people use it in very different ways than I would consider to be really trying to help the people. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, it's, it's been, uh, you raised the issue about the jail. You want to, can we talk about the jail? For Absolutely. Okay. So we house, I think our capacity is somewhere around 3,000, 2,700, something like mm -hmm. that. So I think presently, and the population pretty much fluctuates, but it's about 1,700. So part of the rhetoric that I, I heard in the primary from my opponent was about the crowded conditions of the jail and, and you know, a whole, a whole uh, litany of things. that Disconnected know. from reality, right? I think so. I, I think that's very fair to say. <laughs> but if you go through the reasons why the jackets these guys have while at their county jail, thank God there's a, thank God there's a jail. I mean, some of these guys are just very, very dangerous people. So it's not like in our county we're very selective. If you're going to go to jail, you're a bad guy, you know, for the most part. And uh, um, in the alternative, if you want to be, you know, real liberal and, and release people who, you know, respectfully we would disagree with the, the safety issue they would present to the community, then really get into the GPS technologies. Like we've gotten into all these technologies on the mm -hmm. policing side. And give the people some assurances. So, for instance, in a domestic violence case, if the table we're sitting at was Allegheny County, we could create a geofence so that the victim is protected and that you cannot penetrate that fence. And the defendant, basically, his restriction is, move, is, is limited. His, excuse me, his movement is limited. So any time that you would, you would come out of a restricted area or enter into a restricted area, it would alert. There's a, a whole series of, of response. Um, long story short, you're protecting a particular person under that scenario, but GPS has a great upside in protecting the community generally, excuse me, against sex offenders and, mm -hmm. and uh, persons who would tend to reoffend. Well, I, you know, I saw uh, the uh, Democrat nominee for the county executive mm -hmm. has been out there. I mean, she, during the primary, you know, she's tweeted out, she's put in her, on her website and things of that nature, <clears throat> but she doesn't want to reopen Schumann Center. Um, she doesn't believe that there should be a, Juvenile Detention Center here in Allegheny County. And she doesn't believe under any circumstances that we should have any juveniles in the county jail. You know, so um, my concern is someone, you know, as a member of council committed to protecting the safety of the people of Allegheny County, is what do you do with these folks who are out there killing people? You know, I had an opportunity to look at some of the cases of the juveniles that are currently in the Allegheny County Jail. Mm -hmm. At least three of them, 15 years old, or in there for criminal homicide. 
at least five that are 16-year-old are in there for criminal homicide. You know, we have the folks that are in there for sexual assault and everything else. Where would we put these folks if we weren't able to put them in the jail? See, that's where, you know, and I had this conversation with uh, Joe Rocky, and Mm -hmm. what what, uh, Rich Fitzgerald did was the state issued an order about the operation of Schumann Center. And it was a rather scathing order, and it, it accused the county of being incompetent and all these other things in the operation of Schumann. So rather than go to the president judge or the people that all the schemes in juvenile court were set around, in part, the ability to, there's a sanction. Mm-hmm. We're going to work with you. We're going to help you. But if we can't help you anymore, then there's going to be a sanction. So Schumann was kind of the sanction to that. Um, you can't just, you can't, it screwed up all the the juvenile court schemes. So now, okay, so now we have to we have to address that. I actually had prepared a lawsuit, and I was going to sue the state, the Department of Human Services, and I was going to sue the county because the county had assumed responsibility for handling um, matters which involve serious crimes committed mm-hmm. by younger people. And I think, Sam, the more fundamental place that we got to be right now, and I see you leading this, uh, you and Bobby Palmasino, actually, is a, is a discussion about... Um, the name Schumann should disappear. The concept of Schumann or the, the, the thinking behind the construction of that facility as a prison and only as a prison, and that was done in the 70s, that has to disappear. And I think we have to, we have to, we have to talk like we're, we talked about earlier with the diversionary courts mm-hmm. and helping people, and especially with these younger, peop- younger kids, that uh, maybe they don't have a family. Or, or just in the mental health side, sometimes it's as, it's as simple to help somebody as they couldn't afford proper health care. They, they could not afford the appropriate medication. So once people get medicated properly or have access to that type of care, they never, you never see them again. And, and everybody's fine, and, and maybe it helps to keep the family mm-hmm. together and that type of thing. But juvenile court lends itself to a, a triage type of approach, certainly the substance abuse side of this, certainly the mental health side, and, but there has to be a disciplinary side. But I think we, we can... You know, that's the type of discussion the community, not not any particular political candidate, not the district attorney, but I think a discussion has to take place. How do we want to treat juveniles who commit very serious crimes? Because the way we're treating them now is just it doesn't work, and you're getting a lot of people hurt needlessly. Right, and, and I think that's, that's the frustration here. Where, where we run into this, just about all of the issues that plague society today, whether it be crime, whether it be homelessness or whatever, they're complex issues. Yes. Okay. Yes. There's not an easy solution. There's not a one size fits all. And what happens is, you know, as you're uh, recognizing and you recognized you know, previously, there are many factors that go into why someone does something. So while we want to get people help, and so many of the folks in our community out there, whether it be on the left or the right, they want to make sure that we're helping the people that need help. But at the same time, they need to be held accountable for the harm that they've created or they've perpetrated in the sure. community, yes. right? Yes. So, you know, to your point about the name of, and, and I call it Schumann just because people know what we're talking about. <laughs> Absolutely. Perhaps the name gets changed to a juvenile rehabilitation center or right. juvenile center. Adolescent, adolescent <clears throat> pediatric care with the emphasis on health and education. You know, something like that. What, whatever we change it to. The point is that we try to take and provide some of the wraparound services that the county can provide whether it be around substance abuse, whether it be around mental health, whether it be on issues with the family, you know, in counseling. But they were able to take folks that enter 
you know, into that program or that facility, do an assessment on them on a triage right. on really, you know, what, what's behind this or where can we help? What's the issue? Where can we help? Well, and then direct them to the services that can then do so. This is another thing that you and I talked about and I talked to Joe Rocky about. <clears throat> as far as I'm concerned, the, the chief executive is should concentrate on bricks and mortar mm-hmm. and the operation of a facility, whether that's going to be done by the county or the state or whoever. You know, that's that's all that's all been driven by litigation across Pennsylvania. So the programming, what what I did was I have authority as district attorney to certify cases that you do not have permission to go to criminal complaint or or with juveniles, it's called a delinquency petition. You mm-hmm. don't have you will not have permission to go to petition on a delinquency case unless you talk to my guys who will be on call twenty four seven, like they are for all the adult serious mm-hmm. adult crimes. Mm-hmm. So my hope is and my belief is our guys will now be deciding who comes into the system. But they'll do it in conjunction with uh, juvenile probation. And juvenile probation is my my best information because they are in touch typically with the schools. And, and it's the teachers. It's mm-hmm. the administrators. They know if a child's having a problem, and those are the people that we really get good information from. So there'll be a, a different type of resource in the system. But together, what I'm going to do is expand, um, and you asked me about the dockets, mm-hmm. mental health, the mental health docket will be expanded to handle uh, younger people. The substance abuse dockets, both DUI and drug court, will be expanded so that the medical and health professionals who provide service or advice and service in the adult side will do the same thing in the juvenile side. And after we discussed this internally a couple of times, people are saying, well, you know, that's the whole basis upon which the Juvenile, juvenile Act was created is mm-hmm. to try to help these kids if, if that's possible. Yeah, that, that's the end goal, right? But, right. You know, and I've always said <clears throat> that, you know, Democrats and Republicans, when you sit down and talk to them, uh, many of them, they, they agree, they want the same things. You know, they all oh, want, they all want an end to world hunger. They all want world peace. But we fight like cats and dogs over the tactics that yeah, we're going to implement yes. on how to get there, right? Yes, yes. And, and that's where we have to, you know, come up with some compromise. But, but again, at the end of the day, look, I tell people, I'm a law and order guy, right? And I, and I tell my colleagues on council and, and others out there that, we, you know, if there's a law, we, if we don't like it. We can repeal it or we can amend it, but we don't have the luxury of ignoring it. Exactly, okay. exactly. And that's why with so many of these these things here, you know, to me, public safety comes first. Before we're able to turn Allegheny County around or fix the problems that ail the city of Pittsburgh, we have to provide public safety and we need to clean it up, okay? And, uh, you know, we were talking about, uh, you know, we're talking about safety here, but, you know, on, on homelessness, this is something that had been plaguing the downtown urban core you know, recently, and with it was coming crime. And I want to cover a lot of that in our next segment, you know. Sure. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, just recently, um, the other day, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette reported that a $10 million grant from the federal government that was supposed to be designated to be used, you know, from the city's program to help the homeless uh, has gone missing. Yeah, you know, so yeah, that's quite a that's quite a lot of money. I was asking the guys here at the, on yeah. the other side of the table if they and we yeah. were actually questioning them earlier about if they knew where that money was. Yeah, folks, stay tuned. That's <laughs> going to be very interesting. That's uh, a lot of money to lose, right? Yeah. I don't know. Well, the problem is, I think anytime money like that goes into the general fund, I mean, it's gone forever. Yeah. Okay. So who knows? You know where that went. What you do know 
is the $10 million that was allocated for those purposes never got spent on what it was to be spent well, on. Well, I think somebody's going to have to explain that. Well, and I, I look forward <laughs> to that explanation. You know, someone bet me $20. And they said, hey, they said, no, it's 100 bucks, it's a clerical error. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's a clerical error. You know, yeah. right, yeah. 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 Uh, folks in government, you know, they say, you know, uh, you know, they, uh, certain amounts are rounding errors. Nah, $10 million <laughs> is not a rounding area. Error. So, uh, listen, folks, I'm here with uh, District Attorney Steve Zappella. We're talking about, uh, you know, crime. We're talking about some of the things he's done, you know, in the courts here uh, from a diversionary perspective with mental health court, drug court, DUI court, uh, veterans court, and things of that nature. When we come back after the break, I want to talk to him about his leadership in technology because, uh, you know, it was one of the things that interested me, and I had reached out to his office and uh, talked to them and that helped yeah, set very, me very on my path trying to take and push for body-worn cameras with our police officers. We'll talk to Steve about that right after the break. Folks, uh, we've got to take a break here. We'll be right back on WJAS 1320 AM, The Elephant in the Room. Folks, welcome back to The Elephant in the Room here. Uh, this is your host, Sam DeMarco. I uh, just want to tell you we're sitting here uh, across the table from District Attorney Steve Zapala. And in the first segment, we talked a little bit about the diversionary course, the things that he's done to help divert people that, you know, um, for whatever reason, have entree into the criminal justice system and try to provide an avenue for the folks who, you know, aren't bad people that just made a mistake to be able to uh, get the help that they need and to be able to, to get diverted out of the system. Now, I want to talk to him in this segment here about his use of technology. Because, Steve, you have... I mean, you were on the leading edge of the use of technology here, you know, with the use of cameras. And you want to talk about what your oh, your office you. has done here with the use of cameras throughout the area. Well, th- thank you for saying that. Uh, I mean, my acclamation was from the private sector. Mm-hmm. So representing businesses, research and development was, you know, obviously a big factor. And if you can't stay ahead of your market and compete with people effectively or provide a better service, then you should get out of the business and do something mm-hmm. else. So the first thing that the foray we went into uh, the use of technology was Allegheny County, 750 square miles. If a woman is beaten by her significant other and she needs protection, then historically what, had, what happened was there's only, there's only two magistrates on duty 24-7, and they're downtown, and they're on 2nd Avenue. So that person who's a victim, and sometimes they're in bad shape, they've got to take themselves or somebody helps them take them down to Second Avenue, go in front of a magistrate, and the magistrate issues a PFA. So the first thing that I did was we created satellite areas, and I partnered with the hospitals. So if somebody hurts somebody, PFA-related, mm-hmm. then they're being treated as a patient, and not as a something else, right. not as a victim necessarily, you know, as a patient, somebody who's, you're in a great environment, you're comfortable, you're protected, the police are there to stay with you, and you can telecommunicate with uh, downtown. Video conferencing, when, when I, you know, when we talked about that in government, it was like, what the hell is that? Right. <laughs> yeah, I right. Like Tennessee or something. Yeah. But uh, everybody's kind of like, this, oh, this is going to take a long time to, you know, to catch up. It did not. Mm-hmm. You know, people understood we're going to do this. And then we started prosecuting, you know, violations of PFA orders differently. And I actually, my office represents people on those violations. Mm-hmm. So it, it, that technology really worked. And it changed a lot of attitudes about domestic violence and how we have to respond to it and how prevalent it is. And it is not a private matter. It is a public matter. Right. So it changed the whole dynamic of that. Talked about dash cams. 
Oh, well, okay. I'll give you an example of uh, cameras in public ways. Mm-hmm. So we're it's G20, that time frame. And Mayor Ravenstahl was taking, unfortunately, Bobby O'Connor was, was sick. Mayor O'Connor, mm-hmm. and he was passing. And, and but Bobby had initiated a comprehensive effort between my office and the Pittsburgh police to impact downtown. And, and Bob's concern was, he said, Steve, the, the perception of my schools is not good. I need to grow my tax base because I'm losing people to suburban Allegheny County. Let's grow downtown. And he dedicated, uh, I think, Dom Costa was chief of police, but there was a guy named Paul Donaldson who was like super cop. He's just such a great guy. He's from mm-hmm. Stanton Heights. And Paul was the ops guy, and we put together a plan, and we impacted downtown. But I used, not used, that's the wrong word when you're talking about the media. Uh, I partnered with the media and uh, because they're a little cynical about cameras in public places. Right. So I said, man, talk to people about it because we can move in this direction. And I think if people understand, you know, it's public, it's cameras, it's video, it's something becoming second nature at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, But if people are offended, then let's not do it. Let's, let's, th- let's think through this again, and, and we'll come at it a different way. People not only were not offended, they embraced it, and they wanted to do it. So we actually, it began to expand a little bit. And I think the Oakmont Country Club was hosting mm-hmm. the U.S. Open. It was 2016, I think, in that vintage. And a couple of my buddies... Uh, Russ Livingston and Bill Fallon, who was the chairman of the uh, PGA Rules Committee. And they were concerned about the safety of everybody and people traveling in and out of the area. So they said, can we do something there? So we took the camera concept we were using downtown and very successfully, by the way, and took it out to Oakmont. And we created a virtual wall around Oakmont and we coordinated seven police departments, I think it was, in the protection of people coming and going. What happened was, and if you come across the Halton Bridge, you're being picked up by you know, video surveillance. So some some guy comes across the Alton Bridge from the from the Blonox side, and as he gets to the end of the bridge, his partner's in the car. He gets out of the car with a gun, and one of our cameras is standing right right in front of him. So he looks up in the camera, <laughs> holds up the gun, basically walks in the bank, robs the bank, walks out. He gets snatched. They they were on their way back to New Kensington, so we, they got snatched and plumb. They didn't quite make it. So from that, the police figured out, man, this is good evidence. You know, this makes cases, mm-hmm. and we could do a lot more cases working together, right? And it broke down all the traditional parochial boundaries between municipalities. Now, everybody's working together as a police, basically as one police department responding to serious matters. It was, mm-hmm. It's pretty cool how, you know, it just started, but a conversation that was initiated by, you know, two guys about their concern about protecting the public and, the, and the, you know, the possible downside of having anything bad happen in Western Pennsylvania during the, you know, the U.S. Open. I just thought that was Well, I think, I mean, that, it's very interesting for our listeners to understand how that all came about yeah, it's, and came to be, this right? This is Pittsburgh, Sam. It's, right. How many times have we talked about something, and the next mm-hmm. thing you know, you know, you got legislation pending or we're right. doing something else. Well, because we're all, we're all trying to do the same thing, which is trying to take and keep our community safe. Yes. You know, and, you know, many of the folks, uh, you know, they're learning about this, the cameras and things of that nature, but I bet you're familiar, if you have a cell phone, you're familiar with something called the Amber Alert, okay? Where, you know, when something happens, an alert goes out, you know, for folks when they know when there's a child that's been uh, abducted and you're trying to track them down. And, you know, so many of our police departments have understood the benefit that these cameras and license plate readers can provide. To to your point, Sam, in part, remember there was a child that was taken – from Penn Hills. That was the, the yes, the Uber driver. Or, or, or I'm sorry, it was a, but it was a rideshare driver. I, I, or something. I can't remember all the details. Yeah. So, but they, they, 
they took the child through Penn Hills, got on the parkway, went through Monroeville, they got on 22, and we tracked them with the camera systems we had in mm-hmm. place in Allegheny County. We lost them when they got to Murraysville, and then I think at, and then we critiqued, as we always do, you know, they, just to finish the story. The, they proceeded out Route 22, and, you know, unfortunately the child died at the hands of the person who took the child. Mm-hmm. And from that... Uh, Murraysville PD, Penn, Penn Township, North Huntington, everybody that's to the east of Allegheny County, we're all coordinated in terms of response. So if this were to happen again in the future, by the time you got through Monroeville and you're into Murraysville, there will be some guys waiting for you, mm-hmm. and you're not going to get much further than that. So right. they've really embraced it, and, uh, and it's taken off. Well, it's an incredible opportunity, again, to make our law enforcement community that much more effective and, again, provide for the safety, you know, of our citizens. Now, you know, uh, two years ago, I took and uh, submitted legislation at Allegheny County Council to create a working committee for body-worn cameras. And I was successful in getting that legislation passed. The county executive, Rich Fitzgerald, has funded me a million dollars in 2022, million dollars in 2023, and working together with the Allegheny County Chiefs of Police, who had gotten a grant through Congressman Connor Lamb's office, yes. 550000 We've been able to distribute you know, well over a million and a half dollars to this point and provide over 600 officers with body-worn cameras. But what sold me on this thing, Steve, was a press conference that you had done. We're talking about, we're in the middle of 2020, and uh, we're seeing this civil unrest that's racking the nation. And much of it is caused by someone capturing a small snippet of cell phone video of an interaction between a police officer and someone that they're arresting or they're involved with. And uh, it doesn't show the entire story or the entire interaction would happen, but it goes viral and folks are in the streets. But there was a case in Allegheny County where there was someone that I believed had killed a a drug dealer had then gone into the basement of a home. And officers had to go into that home, into that basement to try to get this person. And, 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 And you had taken and held a public press conference where you showed the video of this interaction, and, and you could yes. see from the police officer's body-worn camera that he's approaching, you know, a sort of cubbyhole or closet in the basement, an arm with a gun reach around and fire shots at him. And, and the, the officer was shot, fell to, his, fell to the ground, but managed to return fire. And, uh, you know, he, he killed the, uh, the, uh, the criminal there. The person who wanted to kill him. <clears throat> right. But, you know, if we wouldn't have had that video that what kind of questions might people have been yeah, asking, right? So, exactly. And when I saw that, and I saw how professionally you did that, that sold me on the need oh, thank you. to put these in the hands well, of actually, our officers. Well, this, this goes both ways because I, 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 I want to say, uh, and I know Stu Greenleaf when he was in the Senate, um, I can't remember, I think it was uh, Scornati, and there were a couple other guys, and you were – really helpful in trying to get those guys to sit down and talk about body cams and what that means and that and they were wonderful to work with and they were actually they 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 uh they made that legislation move through harrisburg very quickly um since we've been working together on this Mm -hmm. and since the law became effective i think it was in 2017 uh the over maybe five or six departments in allegheny county do not or do not plan to use body cams, we're going to change their mindset on that. But yeah. everybody else has embraced the use of 
body cameras. And quite frankly, from my perspective, and my obligation, one of my obligations as DA is if I can provide the best, most objective evidence, then I want to provide the best, most objective evidence. And there's no question about what you see in, in a camera. Right. So right now, it's the best we've ever done in terms of being honest and, and open and truthful with the public. And, and so it's worked really well. The other side of the coin is I have, I've had a lot of, you get a lot of complaints about police interactions. Mm -hmm. and historically, that interaction's been one person, the officer, one person, the civilian. And where's the truth? Right. The he said, she one. said, right. Exactly. That, that happens all the time. Well, body cams have eliminated that. So close to 90, the last, the last analysis we did, I think it was 95% of the complaints involving a police-civilian interaction have disappeared. And all these advocates, self-proclaimed advocates, mm -hmm. they've disappeared. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of like, for some reason, the police had to be, uh, there's a political ideology, the police have to be bad people. And that's anything but true. And all the body cams did was, was give them the ability to do that. But, of course, a lot of these department or communities can't afford that. And the action, you know, what you did with county council, that's outstanding. And that made it work. Right, I, but we, all, we do appreciate that. But I want to tell our listeners that you on your website, you have what are called model policies mm -hmm. for the use of this type of technology as well as other, um, you know, policies. So the police departments out there in Allegheny County that may not have the wherewithal or the resources to develop their own, they have the ability to take and borrow yes. and utilize your policies. And that's been extremely helpful as we've introduced cameras to some of these departments uh, to allow them to put a policy in place governing the use yeah. of those cameras. Well, thank, thank you for understanding that. I, th I think uh, the chiefs of police are an association. They are uh, one of the finest groups of people I've ever met. And they, they, they get things done, and they're very forward-moving in a really legitimate mm -hmm. sense. So these guys historically have come up with the best practices. But they said, you know, when I became DA, they explained to me, we can't make people do this, but we can identify it as best practices. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what I'll do. If they, if they constitute best practices, and I, obviously I defer to you guys as professionals in the field, then I will take those and establish those as minimum standards. Any officer who acts below those standards should expect to be scrutinized. Do what you're told, do what you're trained to do, and the results will be, they should be what we want them to be. Mm -hmm. So um, that worked out really well. And the chiefs no longer were just giving advisory opinions. They were creating standards, and everybody kind of fell into line. So every new technology, whether it be tasers or video technologies or whatever, all that stuff was scrutinized beforehand, and everybody came to the same conclusion, typically, and then we put something in motion to benefit the people. No, they've been phenomenal to work with. I've had the opportunity to work with the Chief of Police Association myself on a number of things. And, you know, the things that they've done in the past, I mean, they printed up thousands, tens of thousands of brochures that distributed yeah. to schools to talk about, to try to educate students on how to interact with the police as these folks, you know, may be, you know, younger than driving age, but they're looking to get their permits and get out to understand how to interact, how to behave when you get pulled over, you know? And I mean, so, so they are really trying their very best, as you said, to introduce best practices into this from both a policing and from a citizen's perspective. But you know what, Sam? In, in um, 
and maybe one of the benefits of having so many municipalities is that our elected officials are in touch with their constituents. Our, our police departments working for the local elected officials, they're in touch with their communities. So these guys are the best position to decide, I'll take care of the serious stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's not a debatable thing. But in terms of the quality of life issues that you want to, you know, you, Mount Lebanon or Sharpsburg or wherever you want to live, why do you want to live there? Why is that a great place to live? Why is that the best for my child? All the amenities that I'm looking for, that type. Mm-hmm. Of, so basically what we did is working with the chiefs and the elected officials, you tell me what is the best situation for you to live in Aspenwall. Why would I want to live in Aspenwall? You know, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, it's like it's like high school football. Everybody's very competitive, right? <laughs> so, right. So these guys are always trying to one-up each other. And, you know, it's just uh, it's a quality of life thing that's customized. And, and I don't know how to explain it any better than that, but it's really worked for Allegheny County. And it's stabilized. Whatever's happening nationally, we don't move like that. We're right. very stable. And it takes a lot. And, you know, it's... Uh, that's why it's kind of extraordinary times right now. Well, traditionally, we haven't. We've been just as you said, right? And I've always joked that Pittsburgh's always a couple years behind the times. You know, meaning if a fashion, new fashion or fad starts, you know, it's in California <laughs> or it's New York, takes a couple years to get to Pittsburgh, right? Well, I don't know, man. You, you, <clears> got, <throat> you know my wife. Right? Oh, yeah. She's yeah. always ahead of the curve. <laughs> well, one of the, the, the things that I, I wouldn't say are fashionable um, are these progressive policies. Yeah. that we're seeing that are being tried or have been tried and have failed in every single jurisdiction where they've been tried. And, and Steve, we just talked earlier about your leadership in setting up these diversionary programs and courts. We talked about your leadership and the use of technology. Okay, But hey, you know you have a, you have a re-election battle going on right now, and your yeah. opponent is a chief public defender and is being supported with over 90% of his the money from his campaign in excess of $843,000, having come from George Soros. And, you know, for folks, I mean, it's not, don't want the name George Soros to scare you, but what should scare you is that every single prosecutor that's been elected with Soros money has then acted not to prosecute many of these crimes. And their communities have turned into virtual hellholes, whether it be Portland, or San Francisco, or Los Angeles, St. Louis, Chicago, Baltimore, New York, Philadelphia. And I just fear that should your opponent be elected here as a district attorney, having no experience as a prosecutor, I mean, his his job, his experience solely exists in getting, trying to get murderers or rapists off. Representing the criminal side of it. So, you know, I mean, what do you feel is at stake uh, in this election in November? Uh, well, there's there's a very strong similarity between what's happening in Pittsburgh right now in terms of our criminal justice system and what started in California and has moved its way across the country. And one of the common denominators is that apparently the gentleman who funds all this stuff, um, he's looking for public defenders. And I think in part because the public defender is, a, is created for a laudable purpose. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you cannot afford counsel, then, then the taxpayers pay for that. And mm-hmm. I, I, think that's, I think that's the right thing to do. Um, but they only, to your point earlier, <clears throat> they represent the person accused of the crime. There's the public interest. There's victim's interest. 
Um, there's, we can represent you to the person who's accused. We can represent you to make sure your rights are taken care of. But on the other side of that, you will you will stand accountable for for your actions. That's a very very different dynamic than the public defenders bring it to the table. So, but they take the laudable purpose for the establishment of the office and they hide behind it, in a sense that they are now politicians. Because my opponent really was not involved in policy, was not involved in procedures. He was never anybody that anybody respected his, opi- his opinion. So I'm, it took me six months to figure out who this guy was. Mm-hmm. So during that period of time, he became a politician. So his rhetoric was very divisive along race and class. It was, uh, um, man... We're not going to enforce all the laws. We're going to make it up as we go type of thing. Um, people who commit violent crimes should be treated with dignity and respect. I'm thinking, what are you, out of your mind? <clears throat> That's something that should be provided to innocent people and to victims of crime. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we, think, we think very, very differently along those lines. But it's been a public defender all over the country, Soros, Mr. Soros coming in with his money, and basically, people realizing they're being disenfranchised, or in in in, in a lot of the, you know, we were talking about the tenor of the campaign, mm-hmm. the tone of the campaign. There's a lot of people that feel like, hey, man, I, I I should have a say in my criminal justice system. So I've had the honor of being district attorney. I don't have the right to be DA. And all we're doing, Sam, and, and what you're providing me today is an opportunity to talk to the public about our criminal justice system. And and mm-hmm. please go out and vote. You don't have to vote for me, but vote. You know, at least be informed in your position because right now the people that are making decisions, certainly on the Democratic side, <clears throat> don't seem to be in tune with the with the rest of the public. Well, I would the one thing I, you just said that I would disagree with is what you said they don't have to vote for you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> because just folks, if you're if you're listening to me, and you know that I'm out there fighting the good fight, trying to take and ensure that the best for our community, you need to vote for Steve Zapala. On November seventh. Now, Steve, if Thanks. someone wanted to help your campaign, if they listened to this and they said, "You know what? I mean, Steve's a reasonable guy. I feel comfortable having the district attorney's office in his hands." How would they go about helping your campaign? Oh wow, <laughs> um, I'm still learning this stuff. Actually, I've I've always been protected from the, uh, the oh the political the in and out of it. Well, the in, the day to day stuff and the ins and outs. Um, I, I'm sure that we can through the through the radio staff. If it's okay with you guys, then we'll. We'll get some contact. Well, we appreciate that. <laughs> now, folks, I mean, I think this is important. You know, it's the Republican chair. I've been asked many times by the media, you know, well, Steve Zappala running as a Republican. Uh, when Steve just re- got, recently got the endorsement of the forward party, oh, yeah. you know, folks questioned. They called me up. Well, what is? He, what do you think about this? And I said, well, I've, I'm happy that someone else recognized what the Republican voters of Allegheny County did in the primary. That Steve is the one best positioned to continue to try to protect our community from a public safety perspective. Thank you. You know, and, uh, you know, so I, I really do, again, uh, his opponent, you see him out there, uh, always, you know, almost fixed at the hip with Sarah Inamorato, Bethany Hallam, you know, and that whole crew. And uh, I don't believe that that's the type of community that we want to have. Uh, again, Folks, if you've ever been the victim of crime, I'm sure that you hoped that justice would be done. If you haven't been, I hope that you hope that you never are. But I think it's important to know that if something does happen, that you have someone in the district attorney's office who will try to hold 
those who committed those crimes accountable and to provide justice for not just you, but for the community as a whole. And to me, that's Steve Zappala. Thank you. Thanks, son. Sure. I really appreciate that. Now, hey, is there anything you'd like to say to the, <clears throat> to the folks here? You have this opportunity. You're speaking to our radio audience, audience as well as the folks that oh. tune in and listen on podcasts. Uh, we were talking earlier. I haven't done a radio thing for a while. So, <laughs> so this is a really important election. We, we are at a crossroads, but you can't look at the, the problems in the city as something in an isolated way. We're in this together. Um, that's who we are in Western Pennsylvania. I think, uh, I think we'll do well. We just got to start pushing in the right direction. I tried to give the mayor a lot of leeway because he didn't have a chief of police and all that other mm -hmm. stuff, but I'm still trying to figure out what his plan is to help downtown. And you had mentioned the homeless issue and that type of thing. Homelessness is, the last time we really paid attention to this, the criminal justice guys, there were maybe about, I, I can't remember the numbers exactly, maybe about 300 people that were, we, we considered mm -hmm. homeless. They were all from the area. So these are people that you could help and needed a break, and you knew a little bit about their background, so you knew where to put them in terms of shelter and that type mm -hmm. of thing. But, but the police knew most of these guys by name. Right. So when it started getting cold, for instance, Ed would be on a, on a grate downtown, and they'd say, Ed, you got to get out of here. And, and they would actually take him over to Light of Life Mission and take care of them. That's, that's the type of policing we actually have. Mm -hmm. So now, fast forward to Mayor Peduto's administration. He goes out to Seattle, becomes enamored with some something out there, comes back, and we become a sanctuary city. Well, there's no preparation. There's no, you know, nothing Nothing has been planned properly to do this. So that population goes from a couple hundred to a thousand or more, depending on who you're talking to. And a lot of these people do have mental health issues, mm -hmm. and they have substance abuse issues and other personal issues that the shelters can't take them, nor would I force them to be taken. So, I mean, it's just this situation will not get better until somebody comes up with like the, the encampments and stuff like that mm -hmm. that you talked about. But it has to be a discussion, a public discussion. Well, you know what, Steve, that's, that's something I agree with you. And, you know, being homeless doesn't mean that you're a criminal. But so right, many exactly. of the homeless that we have here, you talked about coming from other areas, are coming here because of the very lax and permissive attitude from the homeless that has allowed open-air drug markets to pervade this area and allows these drug dealers to prey on these people. So you have folks with suffering from substance abuse, mental illness, and other issues, and they're not able to get the help that they need, but that's something that we're going to have to save another day thank as you. always thank you time flies on this <laughs> show here right you guys yes yes out. time flies when we're doing the show here uh but i really want to thank you and appreciate you coming in you're a good man see we, we, we appreciate Thanks, it folks yeah. until next week this is sam demarco steve zapala john schneider and dazzy daryl grandy signing off <laughs> on the elephant in the room on 1320 a.m wjas you can sign up for our website stevezapala.com you can sign up for a yard sign, you can donate to our campaign, or you can volunteer in a variety of different ways. You can also sign up for our email updates.